This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios, proudly sponsored by VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and Semcore Productions. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen, I'm your host, and I'm speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 20-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home studios, so maybe you can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to talk about our sponsor, VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and Semcore Productions. VFX Unleashed is a complete accredited online VFX school where you can learn how to have a career in the visual effects industry in classes taught by industry professionals. There are programs in all major aspects of VFX production and software, including Photoshop, After Effects, Maya, Nuke, Cinema 4D, and many more. Online, fully remote classes start every eight weeks, and a full VFX studio within Amarillo College's Innovation Outpost will open next year, which will have a state-of-the-art soundstage and motion capture studio. You can check out all that VFX Unleashed has to offer and enroll today at vfxunleashed.com. Thank you to VFX Unleashed and Semcore for being our very first sponsor. We are proud to have you. Now, let's get into the show. Today on the show, we are continuing our conversation with Mr. Wally Ingram. Enjoy. This is something I've been meaning to ask probably for the better part of the hour now, but um, you were talking about being a drummer already in high school. When when did you start drumming? I started drumming. I'm one of those like pots and pans. um, Me too. Percussionists. (laughs) And and I'm talking like like yeah literally and and still to this day, I mean, I've got metal is always part of my my rig and um, but there's pictures of me you know I don't think I could even walk yet but there's pictures of me with you know dragging the pans out of 
out of the cabinets and, you know, with sitting on the floor, hitting them and that kind of thing. But it was literally, I think, five years old. I remember that birthday, maybe one of my first real cognitive memories of my birthday party where it was clear that I, I was into drums and I was the monkeys TV show was on and my mom threw like a monkeys theme birthday party. And I think I had about <laughs> five friends and they, she made, she knit caps for everybody like Michael Nesmith knit caps. Wow. And I got a pair of bongos from a friend and I got a snare drum. No, I got a little drum kit, like a little toy drum kit that had an actual kick pedal on it and, you know, like a little kind of, a, you call it a snare drum. It literally had like a spring on the bottom of it huh. and a cymbal and a tom-tom. And, yep. So five years old, but seven years old was kind of when I got a real snare drum and started taking a few lessons from uh, a kid who was about my oldest sister's age. So he was probably about 10, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And that's so I kind of started about then. And then I think when I was 12, I got my first real drum set, which I saved up from a paper route and bought from the same kid who I was taking drum lessons from. So that's kind of when I was off to the races. I you know, really at 12 was when I started playing drum kit. Gotcha. Yep. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I had the luck of the draw being uh, Billy Cohen and Colleen Kennedy's kid uh in that in that regard but i i equally started early they kind of saw me bashing on things at around two or three and then my father was managing or booking booking a band called sisters in the pit which was this i don't know if you've ever heard of them it's it's anybody who's listening it's worth looking them up they're hilarious they're an all black lesbian punk rock band like hard punk rock band hard rock band um like on verge of metal but not there what's the name of the band again sisters s-i-s-t-a-s in the pit okay and they are awesome and their drummer a woman named aila grant uh ended up wanting to give drum lessons and i was kind of her proto student I guess you could say she, she, uh, she decided that I was going to be the, the, the tester and I was already bashing on things going to my parents. I want to, I want to start giving lessons, give lessons to the kid. And we was like, we can't fucking afford that. Well, I need to practice being a drum teacher. I'll give the kid lessons, you know? I'm like, okay. I still have the toy drum set. Um, it, it was, it's a first act discovery kit. It's, it's actually, I you know, know those kids very well. Yeah. yeah. People have recorded albums with those. Dusty recorded <laughs> recorded with one of Dusty those kids, did. Mad Dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, to- I told him I had the kit. I actually, I was on, I, I, I ended up doing a, uh, a video record with him and I showed him, I showed him the snare drum, I think, because I had it behind me. He went, I got my kid that kit and he ended up not using it. And, uh, ended up bringing it to the studio and some producer was like this is the sound that i needed a fucked up drum kit (laughs) yeah yeah. i've i've worked i used to work at mad dog a bit back when i lived in venice in the 80s and um 
was lucky enough to meet Dusty way back then. And um, man, it was really a treat to work with him. And now we do now we do quite a lot together. Um, let me just pick up this call. It's from Menno real quick. Check this out. You could be here, actually. Well, you know, even at, yeah, even as, even for on a professional level, I mean, it's, you know, because you always start with a faders up mix, right? So yeah, basically it's the same sort of thing. And then from there, you know, there's level planes. Like five is, a, is the, the number of balance in the universe. It just is five senses, five limbs, five fingers, toes, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So when you make your your moves, I'm sure after you start with the faders up, because you know not everything's supposed to be the same relative volume, um, you you make them in in you know increments about five. Well, if you make them in exact increments of five, those are level planes, and that's all you need to do. So if something is if you want to tuck your your um, like the reverbs are minus fifteen below, you know luffs below, you know so it'd be like minus. Uh, Minus forty because we set everything at minus twenty five, like you know your snare, your kick, um, mm-hmm. and then just everything in level planes. So like 20, uh, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, and it it works perfectly. So you can save these all in presets, and then there's unlimited ducking and expansion groups. Um, and but we hard limit our our ducking. So if you want three dB of ducking, that's exactly what you'll get every single time the kick drum hits. Um, it is about precision and perfection. Uh, same with like COS Pro as far as EQ goes. Um, so you can save all those on presets to have your whole thing set up. And as you bring in your monoliths, they all lock up together so, hmm. and work as one entity. So if you have even like 70, 75 tracks, you, you hit learn all channels once you have your monolith set up and all your, your infrared, your ducking is set up. If you have expansion going on, if you mute groups, all that. And then it'll, it'll learn the whole play the song it learns a whole song hit mix all and they all adjust themselves and you know if anything from there so you're already like 95 sometimes 100 percent, but 95 of the way there and then if something's too loud like a piano you know like on a billy joel song piano would be a foreground instrument where on maybe in some rock round rock type thing it would be a background instrument so if you had had brought up the preset where piano is a foreground you go oh it's too loud no problem just drop it back one, two level planes. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it works. Once you try it, it'll, it'll blow your mind. There's no there's no need to fidget in between. There is the universe is finite. You know, what I mean, it's it's really kind of it's really wild. See, now you know why I, I surround myself with brilliant engineers. <laughs> and with I... COS Pro, we use we're actually using noise planes as knobs for your EQ. So for the first time ever, you can you can EQ perfectly in absolute silence. Wow, yeah, and I actually show it on the on the thing. And when if you use it and mess with it, you'll see. You know, it's it's pretty cool. So what we're doing today, um, after the interview, we're gonna do a bunch of Wally tracks presets yeah, for nice. for for uh, Menno and Iek, um based on. We're just gonna pull up the library from the from the Yurt Rock um from my library volume one and go through and pick whatever whatever we like to do presets based on that so um and is that for mixed monolith or cos well actually we may do some for mixed monolith but um it's going to be primarily for cos pro so that um because we have like 800 presets and um i just want to keep going and, and just have tons of them you know to start with 
because um you know it it, it works so well though. I mean most most things uh presets are kind of like a, a you know just a, a, an extra thing but nobody really uses them but with COS Pro since your presets are you have 15 bands of noise ceiling so each section of it uh is is perfect sound is a noise slope I mean, we're using noise to drive the EQ process instead of chasing it. So all the presets work beautifully. So you could bring up like, uh, you know, when Bali creates like a djembe one, if you, you, you record a djembe and you have like the djembe, you know, bottom and, and you bring up that preset and you hit conform, it, you know, it'll, it'll sound amazing right off the bat because, you know, noise does not lie. These are, these are ceiling curves that are, that are, all every section of it is perfect sound is a noise slope right so they they work beautifully and then from there you know if you want to just manipulate a little bit you can but most of the time you just you can go through your presets um and even if you use something that's not really related to the instruments you're you're eqing um since noise is what's driving it you, you it's almost impossible to make this thing sound bad it just sounds different so you can go through and find these really cool happy accidents by you know EQing a snare using, you know, guitar or bass, you know, presets. Sure. Really cool. Gotcha. Well, I, I at some point, I'd love you guys to, to do a more in-depth interview and you can jump into this stuff. And I'm, I'm, I bet Menno would be happy to turn you on to a version of oh, yeah. uh, the software Definitely. for you to check out, you know? And, totally. And wrap your head around it a little bit. And, um, um, you know, continue that discussion for sure. I think it's kind of a fascinating, um, it's fascinating. Definitely. Definitely. I, it's something, something like the mixed monolith kind of intrigues me for actually this exact, uh, this exact setting of, you know, the, the voiceover and the podcast and things like that, because, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with having to go in and then you know, find your background music and it, 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 I mean, it, it's, it's like any sequence and mix. It's just, you know, in, in the case of, in the case of the podcast, like you can get it done evenly per, per, uh, per the episode it, to, to equate it to, to drums because I am a drummer and Wally's a drummer. It's kind of like tuning a drum to itself, you yeah. know? But it's it's w once you get into like the nitty gritty and you like listen to the rest of the episodes of the podcast because I'm I'm a one man operation. Right. So when you listen to the other episodes of the podcast, there's a lot of varying degrees of how loud something is, how loud the voiceovers are, what where where my final peak is. And you, you can kind of tell from uh, <laughs> maybe not even the voiceover, but certainly the background music that that it uh, that that it happens that way um yeah it works great for that stuff. well i mean yeah. for instance like i i didn't have it set up where i don't have a microphone set up going mm. through the through my interface so we're like oh well let's just try it with the computer so we're using a oh, computer nice. mic so there's probably would be a could be a preset for using the internal mic on a computer maybe i mean because i don't know i mean yeah. is that does that sound like something we're talking about here i mean i i i would not know it i think i think uh 
I think Menno would know better than yeah, I. It, it works great for, for, it works beautifully and it makes it very simple when you're doing podcasts and you have your, even if you have three different vocals, like um, you could, you can actually set it up because you can have multiples on a, on a, um, on a channel. So uh, actually in one of the videos that we have, someone does that, I'm going to go more in, into it where they have three different vocals and they want the, you know, the first one is going to duck everybody. The second one is really going to duck the third, um, you know, and, so he has a priority setting and then everything ducks the music and it works. It's so easy to set up. And, and like I said, if you, if, if even if, if it's just a vocal in your background music, when your vocal comes in, you know, since your, your ducking is hard limited, if you want it down like five dB or 10 dB, two level planes, um, it does it immediately. And then your, your attack and release are everything from 0 0.07 milliseconds up to, up to 10 seconds. So you can really, and then plus you can set it to sync. So it's in host, you know, notes. Um, right. So it's really easy. And that's all saved with your presets. So like I just bring up my, um, when I'm doing videos, I just bring up my, my vocal. I put that preset on it. I put the, you know, audio for video preset on. And then, you know, I just have it learn real quick, hit, you know, mix and then boom, I'm done. And it's ducking perfectly. And I just move on. Gotcha. I have to check your system requirements because I'm, I'm oh, hey, look at that. I, I I just looked at the website OS oh, okay. 10 yeah, fabulous. We're, we're for you know we're good on everything. I am uh, yeah I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm in the middle of planning an M1 upgrade, but I'm still using an 09 Mac Pro running uh, Yosemite. So it 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 there's a there's a number of stuff like we uh, we as a collective network um, those of us who who do all the editing and the mixing and of 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 shows. Um, and aside from my own show, I, I, I do, uh, edits and, and, and mix for, for other shows, not as frequently as, as I'd like to, but that's, that's about to change kind of soon. Right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we were, everybody was like getting on this bandwagon of buying, um, there was a super great deal that Isotope was running with Sweetwater and it was like a Sweetwater exclusive where they were doing like a 90% off for, for, from, uh, I, I think it was Thanksgiving of last year to new year's sometime. Oh, wow. And, and I, I couldn't, you know, I, I could have afforded it. That, that wasn't the problem, but I, I, I couldn't buy it or, or, uh, or, uh, justify buying it because the, the system requirements were, were too new for me. Because mm. I'm, I'm, I, I, I know I, should upgrade and can upgrade but it's it's one of those things where when you're in this field and you have a stable system you don't really want to yeah. do anything to mess up your system. yeah everybody's exactly. that, that's one of the big challenges i mean we tried that i had an older computer we were really trying to piece it together and add more memory and all this stuff and then finally we're like realized i couldn't run i couldn't run ableton and we were trying to like make a loop library and you know, things like that and it's like just right. just get a, just kind of get over it and bite the bullet and get a computer that's stable and um you know kind of made some big moves for that for me anyway it was right pretty big and, and then but then i wasn't dealing with a whole bunch of like grandfathered plugins and things that you know back i mean the day, I there was so many People have yeah. libraries of plugins that that they required. Who knows where? But um, that we're going to all go away as soon as you 
And then Pro Tools, also the whole subscription. Well, th- thankfully, Pro Tools is one of the few things that still has a perpetual license option. I don't know how for how long, but thankfully they do. Um, but you know, for 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 me, like I've been running a Mac Pro for five years or something, um, and and I've been very adamant about keeping Mac Pro just because it. Uh, Partly for aesthetics and partly because it's been stable for me. You know, I, I had one Mac Pro die. It was a 2008 Mac Pro, and then I ended up finding a 2009 Mac Pro and swapped the hard drive out and put my Wi-Fi card in and and uh, and ran. Um, you know, so so it's it's that like, okay, I, I I have a system that's stable and functions, and I can I can I can you know if something dies, I can keep the hard drive or you know I have my time machine backup. I can restore this if I need to. Um, but, but upgrading is, is fearful because it means I have to spend a lot of money on not just hardware, but also software. Yeah. Especially sure going on M1. There's a lot of things that are still not M1 compatible because they right. did it. What's that M1? M1, the new chips. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, see, yeah. I got the last and I, I talked to my Sweetwater guys and it was right about when the M1s were coming out. And they strongly advise that I grab this last version of the Pentium, right? Does that make sense? Whatever this is, this is the last iMac with the that, with the Intel chips, yeah. With the Intel chip, sorry, the Intel chips, yeah. So I, that way, I, I could at least was going to have stable software support and stuff. And, and you know, it's it's tempting know. for me to do the same thing that you did, Wally, because you know, it like I am in audio, but I'm also a video editor and like you know my 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 father's one of his primary gigs is is working uh in media and advertising for live shows and we have gigs now you know like we're we're working live concerts um right. which is a which is a strange thing to be away from for a year and a half and then get back to but you know i've been i've been doing a lot of video for him and I'm working on an older system and i had some 4k footage come in and my mac pro couldn't handle it now had i had a better gpu i probably could have but it's also one of those things where it's like should i be upgrading the graphics in a 12 year old computer or should i get a brand new computer and then once and then once i go there i'm thinking well should i uh should i get an intel machine which is going to lose support after a few years because you know it's it's uh it's pre-transition or do i get do i jump ship onto the new new stuff and not have complete support but i'm not doing enough like the only regular audio projects i have are my podcast i mean i've done two records but like i i can i can do them and they're they're starting to do support but the the, uad stuff i don't i i i my my primary music making software is a software by uh, a swedish company called propellerhead and it's uh, reason Oh, okay, yeah. And so, you know, when 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 you use Reason, you don't really need that many plugins. I know guys who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on rack extensions, and once Reason gave you the ability to be uh, to use VSTs, and then it became its own plugin in Pro Tools and 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 Logic and all that other stuff. You know, spending spending a bunch of money upgrading the hell out of it. But you know, I I came from the the idea of just use the mix window and not have to worry about uh the rack and any of your rack extensions so i 
I can do a mix on stock rack extensions on Reason because I don't have to worry about them. Because as far as mixing goes, everything, it's basically, it is a virtualized SSL console. So your EQs are there, your gates, your compressors, everything's there. I don't have to worry about any external plugins per se. Monolith, you know, we're compatible with Reason too, so. So you can always put in the monolith and the Viet and the uh, COS Pro and just bring those up in your and keep working in your your preferred platform. Right. Platform. I I have not upgraded off of older Reason, but that but oh, now now I'm still on Reason Eight. I'm I'm on Mac OS Yosemite, uh-huh. running a 2009 Mac Pro with Pro Tools 11 and Reason Eight. Yeah, I'm I'm. Wow. I'm a, I'm about as ancient as you can be old school, in 2021. Yeah. Um, at least at least as far as as far as uh, digital technology goes, I d- I don't think anybody's running on ADATs right now. Um, but you I've know, got one I, in the garage. And 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 some restorer somewhere, some somebody who 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 specializes in restoration would be happy to buy that off of you. Probably so. It's yeah. I mean, actually, uh, I told talking to you about Jay Vatuk. It was one of our. I think we had three of them in our studio, and he's got most of the tapes. But I've thought about just sending it back to him so he can at least have uh, sixteen tracks to link together and maybe download some of that stuff if he ever wants to. I don't know. Right. It probably, I bet it runs no problem. Well, who knows? I don't know. People still um, work on them. People do still use them. I, I don't entirely well, know why some people still would use those things. I don't know. But yeah. I remember when David Lindley got the, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, was that Elisa's 24 track hard drive. <laughs> like a right. That, it was yeah. a very cool thing. It's like, whoa, really? And then it had a big old, like, like a I don't know, like a hard drive built in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, removables. Yeah. yeah. I thought and, wow. and Roland and Roland made their answer to that, the the twenty four eighty. Tascam had theirs. Yep. Yeah. And and, the, and, and Tascam was already trying to compete with Elisis for the ADAT stuff. They had the DA eighty eights and all the de- their that's right, yeah, the DA eighty eights. Yeah, I remember and those seemed very sexy too at the time with the smaller tapes. Right. You didn't have to use a Full size VHS tape. You could use a regular. The whole thing just changed all the time. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I was talking to um, I was talking to Tony Shepard about that. He he uh, he is not a big fan of how much it's changed. I mean, he he uh, he loves the technology that we have now, but he really was not a fan of how much it's changed because he's like, what's going to happen to all those masters? when nobody has the gear to play them anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, all of it's going to be lost. Yeah. And it's just so wild that within I mean within your lifespan the CDs emerged really along in and, and you know all the the tapes and things and they've disappeared. So CDs, DVDs, they came and went all within a very short amount of time. Well, I mean, CDs um, were around the 80s, so it was it they Yeah, started, but it was I, really it, it was really late nineties that they kind of came in. Cause I remember like in 98, um, 90, yeah, about 98, uh, I bought a, a, uh, they just had the, the two by burn 
right. like the DVDs, you know, and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, to where we could actually do them ourselves and not have to, uh, like I did mastering in 94 at Bernie Grunman's and I wanted a, uh, a CD master for myself and it was like a $500 thing. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I got two of them and that was a grand, you know, for just these, these CDs, you know, red book CDs. Jesus. Um, you know, so, you know, you really think late 90s, like 98, 99 is when everybody was really using them, starting to use them at home. And I don't think hardly anybody has them on. They're not, they don't even put them on the machines now. So, but Yeah. They, I mean, I mean, if you think about, uh, let's, let's, let's say, call it, I think 2001 with the advent of, of the, right when, right when Apple redesigned the iBook from that clamshell thing to yeah. to the to the square uh to the square pale white box yeah and i i, I don't know if you've ever seen the keynote for it i've i have but i was an apple tech when i was younger um mm -hmm. and so so of course i I, w I was an apple tech right after steve jobs died and so of course you know steve jobs is god to to us uh i i went back and watched all the old keynotes yeah um and you know what? What the the one of the selling points on the iBook, and he and he brought a Dell uh, laptop, the equi an equivalent Dell laptop in, and an equivalent uh, Toshiba, Lenovo, IBM, maybe an old ThinkPad. I I don't remember. Mm. But w the selling point that he had, it was like this is our competitor. They don't have an optical drive. Mm. We think that you need an optical drive because we know you need an optical drive. So. We put one on our computer. Yeah, that was two thousand one. You said. Now, yeah, and now and it, my my birth year, showing my age, it, wow. how little I how little I have of it. Uh, but you know, fa fast forward uh, what twelve years later, they got rid of them, or yeah. eleven years later, they got rid of them. And what machines can you still buy with uh, with optical drives on them? None. Windows PCs. You can still find Windows PCs. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, any, any new ones, you know, it's just like, unless you build your own and then, you know, but you know, it's, there's no point. I mean, you know, you've seen like these tiny little flash drives that are, you know, four terabytes, 16 terabytes. You're like, I, I had a guy come in with a USB three, like a combination USB C USB a thumb drive. It was the size of my thumbnail. Yeah. I kid and, you not. And what was the storage on it? Uh, I think it was a 256 gig flash drive. Oh, okay. It was, it was tiny. I mean, it, <laughs> tiny. I, I'm, I'm sitting here with a, with a 32 gig flash drive. That's, that's the size of a slide for a slide guitar. And, I'm, <laughs> I'm, and, 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 and that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about 256 being tiny, but it's like, it's hilarious. You can get, you know, the the size of this flash drive that's thirty two gigabytes you could fit a terabyte in now yeah or more yeah or more yeah it's 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 amazing and and you remember when these were half a gig and we thought it was and we thought it was <laughs> huge yeah yeah I yeah I still remember like the the old you know I had a bunch of the old Akai samplers and this was a ninety two I had like an S one thousand and I I was I slammed it out to 32 meg, cost me a bunch. And I was like, wow, the, the amount of storage. And, you know, the, I mean, there was nothing that was, I mean, that was the most you could get. That was huge. 
You know? Now, now what audio files actually are 32 megs, probably, probably a one second clip of audio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At, at high resolution at HD. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I do like it because it's, you know, like anything, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you're constantly always, you know, you know, that whole Moore's law, you know, you're, you're, you're almost always uh, obsolete no matter what you buy, the moment you buy it. Yep. But the, the power, you know, for, for like yourself and wanting to do video stuff or, you know, as we're wanting to do more and more HD, you know, um, and, and multiple tracks like sound, you know, soundtracking or whatever, you know, to be able to do that at home, to have the power to do it is, is really, really nice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, mentioning Tony Shepard a bunch of times, but it's, it's like Tony's first studio, first real foray in a recording was a Sinclair in the 80s. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. And now now look at where, where we've come. Yeah. You know? And that's a powerful system, and they sound good, especially for, for what they are, but, you know, look at look at what we can do now um so it's a it's a lot different yeah a lot and a lot cheaper yeah yeah that's that's what i like about it too because yeah you know to try when we were even in the early o's you know trying to you know you had to spend a lot of money to actually do something worthwhile at home but now it's 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 you know hardware is so past where you the power that you actually need like if you're just tracking songs and you know someone's recording an album, you know you have more than enough power, and and you know, you know, tracks in all in H, you know, in high definition, to do what you need to do, you know, at, at a right relatively cheap price, which is nice. So now it's really about okay, what are you gonna do with it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I the the thing that I look at is uh. I look at Pro Tools Ultimate and Pro Tools HD and all those things, and I, I look at the sample rates that all the uh, standard gear is running nowadays, and uh -huh. I look at HD and I go, is it, is it out of prestige that you guys still use this gear? Is it, do you actually hear something, or do you just like being ripped off? Yeah. Because that's true. Because after you know, from forty-eight to ninety-six k, there's a you can hear the difference. There's there's a considerable audio difference, audible difference. But really, passing from ninety-six to one ninety-two, it's kind of hard to hear. And then you know, unless you're Al Schmidt or yeah. or Bruce Sudin or Rudy Van Gelder or uh, or Shelly Yakis, you know, the 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 gods of the engineering world, you're not going to be able to hear that. Yeah, yeah, because you're trying to hear the difference in air. Yep. So, it, 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 and and with those guys, you know, I I I I got to become friendly with Al shortly before he died. Um, oh, nice. And uh, one of the things that he said, well, uh, well, I I I uh, met him was uh, was you know you're 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 not listening to what's there that's 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 the rookie mistake you have to listen to what's not there yeah. you know and and people people don't understand that you know yeah. like when 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 you st <laughs> i i had a really funny conversation about this with Warren Sokol in that he and i were talking about this he's like 
you know, once you start understanding to listen behind what's happening, what you're listen to behind what's what you're what the audience is listening to. Yeah. You're 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 immediately benefiting yourself in your profession, but everywhere else you're fucked because now you can hear everything else. You can hear the five conversations to the left and to the right of you if you're sitting down to dinner at a restaurant. But, you know, it's it's also that that thing of um of uh you you just hear everything but but at least your mixes are better yeah yeah and exactly i'm back yeah no worries um hey daniel hello are you guys saving the universe of audio engineering i i think we are i I, okay good (laughs) we got it all figured out (laughs) well well, I, I think the I think bare minimum we we need to get a bunch of bunch of us from 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 this side of the glass to go to the recording academy, NAM, uh NAB and AES and go, hey, uh what what's happening with these archives? We we were talking about that earlier and some, and it was something Tony Shepard kept harping on was the was losing all the masters. You know. Um that that really needs to be done. And and we were also talking about high def audio, and how past a certain point you can't really hear a difference unless you're God. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more about dialing it back and making things sound more like a certain vintage or a certain like uh, analogness, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you know this this is something I hadn't mentioned, but I I don't. You know, for being a guy who runs a recording studio, I don't really spend that much time and money in looking at and purchasing audio equipment, which is a strange thing for a recording engineer to say. But I come from this, the, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm 19. Well, you're I from the generation that doesn't need to, right? Yeah. Really, you know, well, it's like that's, that's a whole new, it's a whole new ball game in the last. True, but yeah. you you should still be spending money on mics and mic free decent preamps and stuff like that, not just rely on it. But but for me, but you're 19 years old too, Daniel. Yeah, but I've 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 so, in, in the last 10 years I've still spent 20 grand on this studio. It's it's not you know I'm it's yeah, not yeah. nothing. But where I've so, spent- so you have yeah that's quite a significant investment for for anyone. Um, I will say this, and kind of moving the discussion along to a, a, yet another, I'm going to take your lead on that, that one of the first things that I could do to bring my game up around here was improve my microphones, just even like in a few few spots, you know, um, and, and, and enter Dusty Wakeman. And enter Mahatma Dusty Wakeman, Michael. yeah. How how yeah. much how much of your kit is Mojave mic'd right now? I, I'm I'm guessing everything but the kick drum. Well, um, actually, it's more like right now I've got uh, I've had two different versions of of overheads. I started out with I kind of you know I took some PPP money and I'm like uh, I had to kind of ration it out, right? And, um, 
I wanted to upgrade my overheads and I went for the MA50s first. Um, and, and then I, and I got one 300, uh, for a room mic. And, um, and then, uh, and that was a huge upgrade from, I mean, it had a variety of different, I had, I had Audix and then I had some Sennheisers that I, I got when I played at the Sennheiser booth a couple of different years. And that was, even that was, had, was like a couple of, they, they they were both improvements on each other and uh, my audixes were really old but um but so then now i actually have two i guess they're 300s right i made 300s um and uh so i have those for over overheads and i can use the 50s on toms and um and then i have this one i think it's a 100 that they don't even make anymore. That yeah, and I, and I I I oh that I, thing is awesome. It's on my I, high. I I, I want to call Dusty and say, give me David's number so I can beg him to to redesign the MA one hundred and the one hundred one FET because you know what they 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 discontinued them because of low sales. You know, I talked I talked to Dusty and I talked to him about it. And he was like, everybody who has them loves them, but we discontinued them because of low sales. I went earthworks you know mm. every one of those is an sdc you know and, and and if you think about it do you well do you remember what the ma101 fet looked like with the with the sh the the small uh section on the capsule and then it flared out oh yeah I've, for, I've, for, the, I've for the connector yep, yep um yep. very cool and dusty doesn't like that look and i went it looks it's a little bit odd, but it's it's kind of a, a little bit of a. But you know um, what mics do exactly that that are really popular right now? All of the Earthworks gear. I mean, yeah, they do have that little deal on the end. Yeah. Well, and then they are working on a couple of prototypes, which I've been lucky enough that you know Dusty brings in these different mics, and we try them out, and we give them a test run, and and um, well, know, he. I'm he, lucky enough where I've been able to in the past to like kind of borrow borrow some mics and he was gonna send me out some mics to demo uh the MAD and the MAB Pro, the two dynamics. Exactly. Have, have you that, have you gotten a hold of those and um I mean gotten hold of those? also I'm also a big as far as microphones go, I'm a I'm a big Heil guy and I've, mm -hmm. I've had um Bob Heil uh I was introduced to Bob Heil by the late great Billy Triplett, and if you if you look <laughs> him up, oh wow, fantastic guy, Billy Triplett, um, amazing guy, and he was one of our roommates at the House of Love Studios in Laguna with Jay Vajuk. But um, and and we we did a lot of work together, and he's worked with everyone from James Brown to Prince to uh, just he, he uh, Joe Walsh. Um, he was with for a long time, and I think, I think he met um, met uh, Bob Heil from Joe Walsh because you know Joe, Bob invented the Heil talk box, and and he and Joe are old friends from from way back in those days. But when I had my cancer benefit, one of them, fifteen years ago, um, that Jackson Brown and Butch Vig and uh, Tad Wadhams organized at the Alex Theater in uh, in LA. Um, he called up Bob, who lives in St. Louis, and 
asked if, if he might be inter interested in kind of like supplying microphones for the event. And he flew out with, uh, you know, a couple of cases full of microphones. And he, you know, every microphone on that stage was a Heil microphone. <laughs> and then, and then when I was after, I don't know, about a year or two after I got out and I was doing well, I, I decided to try to build a little studio and he sent me a batch of microphones and I, I've been using those things on, I use them on everything. I move them around. Um, I just recently, I'd never had a PR 40 and I've been using that on, on uh, my floor Tom and it's fantastic. So I use thirties on toms a lot. I've used them on snares up top and bottom. I also, you know, I kind of went back and I've got the beta 52. I've got a, um, uh, and a good old 57s. I have 57s top and bottom on the snare too as, as options. Gotcha. So I just, I'm, I like dynamic mics. Um, if, Hey, if I, if I could have a, a 100 on every, uh, every, every, every drum on that kit, I probably would. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean, I think that that's what uh, Kenny Arnoff has, from what I heard. Um, well, Kenny's I, also got a shit ton of Lewitt gear. He loves the Lewitt mics. Uh, well, I, I have heard. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got he's got whatever he wants. But I, I, I've seen videos and I have heard him talk about. Once he discovered that one hundred, he's like, oh, he put them all over on everything. But it's, yeah. He, he's got a lot of them. I've, it's a game changer for me on the hi-hat because hi-hat is one of those things where people, I don't know. It, it, some it, people might get, some people don't. It's the same thing with the ride. I think more people mic their hi-hats than they do their ride. And I get that because, you know, it's like it can be, especially when you're playing the hi-hat with your foot, when you go to a ride cymbal or, or you're doing something else and you're, you're not, I think, you know, it's one of the most, don't you, don't you, you're a drummer, you know, it's like, to me, the hi-hat symbol, hi-hat combination is one of the most extension of your personality playing wise, the nuances that you produce out of your hi-hat. That's like kind of the glue in between everything. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a big, there's a kick sound. There's a snare sound and snare drum as well especially when you're talking dynamics and grace notes and things like that. Right. But which is hi-hat, it for it to translate in a way that you're hearing it yourself, the subtleties of slightly opening it up and make kind of a washy sound or a super tight sound or the way it sounds when you open and close it. If it's and, not and translating. And if you're, and if like you're one of those guys that has a tambourine on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and lately I've been, I'm really into 15 inch hats. Trying to drum geek out a little bit. Um, oh, entirely. <laughs> um, I wish you could see my room. It's like, yeah. like the shelves in the back are just loaded with snare, snare drums and percussion gear. Hey, um, I have, I have, uh, I have behind me my Rogers holiday kit. A, uh, what is it? Sonar. No, cool. not sonar. Uh, something I don't remember exactly. It might be sonar. Uh, I, I don't even remember what my marching bass drum is. But my marching bass drum 
uh, a Slingerland 5x14, a Pearl 5x14. The Slingerland is a uh, maple. The, the Pearl is stainless steel. I have a Ludwig uh, 3x13 maple piccolo. I have my first little first act 10-inch snare here, which I tried to put a new head on, but the snare wires. It's one of those weird ones where the snares are inside the drum and it activates with a screw, and the screw is really, really stripped. So it, it doesn't actually work anymore. You need a new little mechanism for that where they can flip on and off. Exactly. I, I really want to, you know, I kind of want to convert it to a, to one of those Pearl M80 snares, you know, the, the little 10 by whatever they are depth. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, interesting. LP are making a very cool little um, flip on and off uh, like snare thing that works on the, they have these like little Timbalito snares. Yeah, I've seen them. And you, on the outside of it, you just kind of, you just pull out this little, like, lever. You pull it toward you and then turn it, and, mm-hmm. and it converts it from a snare. They also are using that same technology on their cajones. I've I've seen the cajones. Where you can use, you know, can use a drum key and flip it on or off against the wood. And I'm a big hybrid percussion I've only known you to be guy. a hybrid percussion guy. I, I can't think of your kit without a set of bongos or congas or timbale or something. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't happen really very often. It's oddly enough, last weekend when I, you know, I flew, it was a fly-in gig for, the, um, for David Nelson. Mm-hmm. And even with something like that, generally I would have like at least a pair of bongos or a djembe, which I like to put next to the snare. Mm-hmm. Next to the hi hat to the left of me, and I, and then I. Do you have it on a stand? I do, and that's that's another discussion is finding a good snare or a good djembe stand that actually gets it where you want it to be. Is milk crates <laughs> <laughs> not easy to do? And and uh, I've been after LP for years to build a good one, and and they're you know. Might, uh, might have to really. find a might have to find a welder and a crucible and, and, well, and I, uh, oddly oddly enough I've got uh, this guy Hutch um, who was uh, lives out in the desert he's pretty well known as being Jack White's live engineer and Queens of the Stone Age's live engineer and one of the partners you know with along with Dave Catching at the Rancho de la Luna studio out there in uh, mm-hmm. Joshua Tree. Yeah, where I, where I have a house, and um, he is the kind of guy who literally welded, you know, built his own hot rods, <laughs> and he builds his own everything. He's he's a welder, you know, motorcycles, and um, he's fashioned some amazing audio gear um, to to um, accomplish things. Like I've seen these fifty eights that he's made. Where it looks like it's got the like the old Shure grill, mm-hmm. the front of it looks like you know one of those like radio mic type things, but it's nice. actually a fifty eight <laughs> with a little curved deal. So like you're singing into it, but it it's really a fifty eight. You know, and That's um, funny. I can't remember who he made those for. If it was for uh, Jack White or if it was, I can't remember. But anyway, okay. I I he was working at the Joshua Tree Music Festival and. I was showing him these kind of like prototype djembe stands that the guys at DW had come up with. Um, this guy, uh, Akbar, who's amazing. 
um, who's um, moved on now, but he, he gave me a couple of prototypes he'd been working on, which are Frankenstein together from Meinl and Gibraltar and DW. And I showed it to him. I'm like, look, it needs to be able to, you know, you need to be able to sit down and play it on a throne or stand up and play it. And it needs to be able to be, have like a little bit of a, a swivel so you can change the, just the, you know, the slope of the head. And he's like, he goes, I love doing this kind of thing. So I kind of, I was up there doing a session with Dave Catching and I just, <laughs> I just went through my hardware, uh, one of my hardware cases and just grabbed a bunch of stuff and I just, I just dropped it up. And I said, look, here, here's what I'm looking to do. So he's working on it right now. We'll see what happens. Um, well, I, wish, I wish you the best of luck in that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, I normally almost always have, and then we were talking about pots and pans, and I use room service covers from hotels. I've, I've noticed. Yeah, those are my one of my go-to weapons of choice, and um, that each one has a distinctive tone. Um, you put them, you kind of you kind of configure it like one of them facing downward. And you put two symbol felts in between it, and then you put the other one facing up, so it looks like it's like a wheel, like a like a rim. like a rim of a right. of a car uh, car rim or something. And you pick, you know, you pick relative pitches that make sense, and you match them up. And um, I always travel with those. You you you, I mean, you, you will. Be hard pressed to ever see me playing anywhere without at least a pair of those things, or at least one of them. Um, but yeah, I love I love the hybrid thing. I kind of invented this djembe brush technique where I use a brush with my left hand, and that's kind of my signature go-to thing, which I like to do. Um, I started doing that with with Cheryl Crow on MTV Unplugged back in the uh, middle '90s or whenever that was. Um, I was trying to figure out something different to do other than just, you know, hitting a drum kit with a pair of plastics, which most most rock bands were kind of doing on on um right on think, the show. Think Nirvana MTV unplugged. Yeah, exactly. Like, arguably the most famous one of them. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And um, yeah, if you if you dig through the archives and find there's like a few few songs on the Sheryl Crow one where I I debuted that technique and um yeah uh, i love it too <laughs> it's really if you're gonna walk into a gig like um an acoustic gig or almost any gig really you can sit in you have a microphone on that thing with anyone and you and you're basically like you can create an 808 dirty 808 you know kind of uh hip-hop rap kind of um configuration kick snare and then you have a conga you know you play basically can play like a conga as well so you can cover all those bases but if you're playing like a duo with an acoustic guitar player in a coffee shop or something or or acoustic venue it to me is the perfect complementary in instrument and um i mean maybe making it a little more perfect is to have a cajon with a kick pedal on it mm -hmm. and use that sit on that and then have a djembe with a brush and you know and then when you start adding a little bit more to it you'd add a pair of bongos maybe one conga 
maybe a hi hat with a tambourine on it, and you know, then you know, and then you, you know, feel cowbell or woodblock, that kind of thing. But that's basically kind of what I how I build my kits, and I kind of do it per gig, per situation. Um, what's the right thing for that music and dynamically? I that to me, I'm pretty obsessed with it. You know, I, it was fun that the David Nelson gig last weekend. I really could focus just on being a drummer, which was fun too. I mean, of course, I had a cowbell and a room service covers, but I didn't have any. I just didn't have. I didn't have any hand drums with me, but it was more of a meat potatoes. Should have called me up. I would have given you a djembe straight from oh, Africa. Oh man, <laughs> with the with the head that still has donkey hair on it. I think I told your dad that I was doing the gig, but I I don't know what was going on. <laughs> Uh, it, whenever you're next up in San Francisco, I'll have to show you this drum. It's it 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 was given to me by a friend who moved 16 years ago, and she knew I was starting to learn drums. So she was like, "You're the one that's taking care of this drum now." I went, "Okay," and it's still you inherited I, I it. Yeah, I I inherited that one. Uh, it it has a head that was made the old school ways because she bought it from she bought it somewhere in Africa, I believe. Um, yeah, well, they're, so they're, they're, they're almost always goat head, and 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 so they're, well, they're, they would leave the leave the hair along the outside of the uh, and then shave it on the playing surface. Uh, and it's not completely shaved on the playing surface either. <laughs> There's still like a little tuft of hair here and there. It was, it's it's really it's really quite something. Gnarly. It's a lovely sounding drum. I also have a couple of djembes. I'll I'll have to ask you. Uh, I'll have to inquire about your your uh, your head preferences. I have one with a broken head. Uh, that well, I, I prefer them when they're not broken. But um, <laughs> <you could do something. laughs> well, I I will tell you this: doing the kind of djembe brush thing that I do, it has to be a skin head. It uh, or it just doesn't vibrate the same way in order to make get get a rattle thing happening, like a like a uh, it's. Uh, like a Remo, a synthetic head. I mean, you can do it, but you can get a, a single hit off of it. But what I like to do is have kind of a beat up brush where you can lay it on the head itself. And then when you hit a big open tone, it should actually vibrate the brush so that it makes like a, like a kind of a white noise, you know, sound. Mm -hmm. And then you do your swirling action and um, and then you can do a hit. And then I, I, it took me a little while before I figured out how to do double strokes by hitting the shaft of the brush with my other hand. So if I wanted to do like a 16th note, you just, you have one, only one brush. It's kind of hard to do that with, with a brush in your hand. You're trying to, you know, or you're trying to do like a train beat. That kind of thing. And so you could you simply use your open hand and hit the shaft of the brush with the with the wires on the head. And you can it's like you have two brushes. That that would require more of a visual um probably uh um example to really show it to you, which I'd be happy to sometime. I love that. 
Um, but I, I love this and I love the hybrid thing. That's one of the things that we decided to do when we decided to make this library was to in, include, there's so many drum loop libraries out there and there's a lot of drummers out there that can play circles around me, but it's more like, let's introduce some of these other elements that, that I like to use that are a little unorthodox. Um, and and then create some loops that are that I'm playing with my personality that they're going to all you know kind of fit together. Um, so that's kind of where we that's what that's where we we took that. And then um, Butch Vig, I, I was telling him we're old friends as well. We we all we all go back to Madison, Wisconsin, and um, Butch produced. Uh, um, our band Electro Love Kit that Menno and I were in. Um, I don't know if he produced it, but at least engineer mixed yeah, it. No, he, yeah. he produced it. Yeah, yeah. He produced it. Produced by Butch Vig, man. <laughs> um, and he's a good friend. But I told him that we were working on this loop library, and he said, "Oh, you should meet Ryan Gruss from uh, Loop Loft, uh, who worked on his BV drums, Butch Vig drums." Um, platform and he's been a big fan of loop loft for years i guess you know garbage use a lot of uh one hits and things like that so um i he introduced us and he was stoked to work with us and um he had just started his own his new company yurt rock because he had sold um loop loft to native instruments and he stayed on for a couple of years. And then when his contract ran out, he started a new company. And he had just, was just putting out Clyde Stubblefield's library, which um, was recorded at Butch's studio by a very young Ben, ben Sidron, the great um, jazz pianist. And he's oh. also a, uh, has jazz radio for years and years, was Richard Davis's. A duo partner for a long time. Leo was taking drum lessons from my roommate, roommate Dave Stanick, when he was about ten years old. So, huh. and we were we were you know in music school at the time. Dave was in music school, and I was in black music ensemble. And Leo was a kid, so you know he grew up with Clyde Stubblefield, the funky drummer of James Brown fame. Yep, probably the most sampled drummer in the history of music yeah so they say and probably true and you know in the wake of all the hip-hop and no compensation for sampling leo had the idea he must have been 20 at the time or so to record clyde pay for the recording and work out some kind of a deal for a loop library back in those days I don't know what format it was even on, how how it worked, but um, they they partnered up on it, and I don't know how they released it, but they did in some way back in the day, and then they he met Ryan and they re-released it just in like it was I think it was the release before mine, and Clyde I met Clyde when I was nineteen I think your yeah your age. And he changed my life, man. Clyde was like a like a uncle, like a like a like your funkiest funkiest uncle you could ever have. 
And he, I asked him if he taught drum lessons and he's like, no, just come down Monday night to the Havana club and uh, just come down. And so I started coming down. He started, you know, talking to me, recognizing me. And eventually he just threw me up there on drums. Like he'd want to go like take a break or he'd go to the bar and have a drink. And, and you were got thrown in there with Clyde's band and you <laughs> had to fucking do your thing, you know? So um, that was your lesson. And so for me to be on the same platform that Clyde's on, and I really love Ryan. I think he's got a cool approach to loop libraries and he's, he's, he's bringing in all kinds of cool musicians from Charlie Hunter to um, it's just like, there's bass players. There's, it's not just drums and percussion. It's, it's all aspects of music. And it's really, it's, it's kind of exciting. I, I never really thought I'd be in this world, but I'm fully engaged and I'm now considering, you know, volume two and what that's going to look like. I've had a lot of fun talking to Wally and I think you guys, I hope anyway, you've enjoyed this conversation as well. As a drummer who became a producer, much like Wally, this has been very informative to see just how similar us drummer producers are. Likewise, it has given me a great deal of understanding and knowledge about a history that I, practically speaking, grew up in. Wally, thank you for being on the show, and thank you so much for taking the time and shedding some light and giving us some knowledge about some really, really, really cool stuff, um, not only that you are doing now, but your history and some of the really cool people that you've gotten to work with and uh, befriend. For all of you listening, check links in the description to find Wally Ingram everywhere. Uh, and when in doubt, just add Wally. Now, normally I would have a gear talk and a music segment for you all, but tune in next time. We are going to have an a, entire episode worth of gear with NAM 2022 coverage. So, with that being said, that's all for now. But, as always, there will be more gear to geek out on and music to share with all of you. I am Daniel the D3 Cohen, signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record. <laughs>